Blog Talk Radio. The Flint water crisis is not a Flint water crisis. It's genocide. Not one black leader, not nobody's. 90% of the Germans that got prosecuted for what they did to the Jews, it wasn't war crime, it was genocide. Hmm? Genocide is when you try to interfere with the whole or part of an ethnic group. I had to kill them, just alter. That's genocide. Hmm? And that's what that was. Genocide. And then one day we hear people talking about taking water. Well, why water going to help when they got brain damage? Hmm? So then all at once, a woman filed her case in federal court. And she was at home with a friend of hers and her baby. Somebody come in and shot her in the head. And then shot the woman, her friend, in the head. And three days before that, the engineer that worked at the waterworks shot him in the head at home. And I said to a friend of mine, they know we know they did it. But what would come out if there was a trial would be so awesome, they'd rather do this. That's, that's how it works. Then they would find out that Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Chicago, Detroit, the water's worse than that. It's a game. They get ready to roll, man. And ain't nothing nobody can do about it. I remember when I was a little boy, I lived in the Midwest. And I used to hear, uh, we weren't around no forest fires. So you turn on the news, radio, and you hear the governor say, if we can't get a shift in the wind, we can't save it. Huh? Hmm? And one day I'm grown, and it dawned on me, a state ain't never burned down. Why? Shift in the wind. Who controls that? The universe. That's all. Never have there been a state that burned down. Shift in the wind. That's all. That you don't control. So you look at it and you think about and then you got this new group of children, the indigo children. Shit. They're back going in and change everything around. That's who they are. Hmm? Yep. So that's all I say about that. Somebody asked me about <laughs> young black children with the crack and shit. Drugged out. So I said, you know what? More of you old black folks will die today, by midnight tonight, from strokes and high blood pressure, than they'll OD from hard drugs in the next 20 years. All of it is addiction. You're addicted to salt and sugar. They're addicted to this. 
at least they don't have to take 15 different type of pills in the morning so they can eat a piece of bacon. You do. They never see. It's okay what they like. Here it is right here. One soda pop will make your bloodstream 10,000 times more acid than the universe meant for it to be. <laughs> I used to wake up with 15 bottles of Pepsi-Cola in the morning. <laughs> Sit on the porch, underneath the porch, and drink that shit, man. And then one day I sit the world's record in high school mile. I say, somebody out there doing something. I don't know what it is. But then you think billionaires. How come you think their children aren't athletes? All that shit's a violation. They can go hire the right coaches, have the right diets, and one. Poor, ignorant folks that need something. And it's that. It's that. And they give them drugs and shit. And they wonder why I slapped my wife. It don't run off after you get off the field. Hmm? That's what it's about. You were telling us last time we met off camera, you, you, you had a knowledge about the, the number of hours in a day. Is that something that you can share with us? How do you mean number hours? You said, like, do the math. How many hours do you sleep? How many hours? Oh, okay. So it's 24 hours to a day. Yeah. So they tell you you're supposed to sleep what? Eight hours. And so now you got how many left? Sixteen. Uh, and then you're supposed to work what? Uh, eight hours. And now you got what left? Eight hours. You haven't cooked. You haven't got dressed. You haven't said hello to the children. You know, sleep deprivation. That's how they get you. Sleep deprivation. Huh? You haven't watched TV. You haven't called your mother, your children. Sleep deprivation. It's right there. That's why the rich folks, you can't, you better not try to call their house after 8 o'clock at night. You have a, you work midnight, what do they call the midnight shift? Uh, the, the night graveyard shift. Graveyard? What graveyard mean what? Death, the cemetery. Death, okay. Death, the cemetery. Why? 90 minutes after the sun go down, your brain get recharged. Mm-hmm. After midnight, the charging stops. Mm-hmm. If you're not home by midnight, you turn into a what? The nursery rhyme. Uh, pumpkin? Like pumpkin. Yeah. What's the only part of your body look like a pump in your fucking head? Um, New World Order. What, what what do people mean when they use that term? Nothing. Anytime my ignorant cousin know about it, he don't know about nothing else. Mm. He just give y'all something to hang on to, and y'all buy it. Mm. New World Order. <laughs> you know, it don't mean nothing. They've been doing this shit. They've been building, they've been building cities in outer space since 1963. Hmm? That's what this shit's about. Uh, let me tell you how genetic engineering works. Punch up. BBC. BBC's. 
uh, wire service. That's British intelligence. And then put in make love, not war. Uh, U.S. military pondered love, not war? Mm-hmm. BBC News. The U.S. military investigated building a quote-unquote gay bomb, which would make enemies... Now, they say, contemplate, it's already built. They can go to a football stadium with 100,000 people and drop that genetic, and everybody leaves their gay. Okay? Mm. All right? That's all. They do the same thing with cannibals. Okay? Mm. That's where they are. Then they write the shit and make like, oh, they contemplate. No, oh, oh you really? Huh? Mm-hmm. That's genetic engineering. They took a, a, a June bug. We call them June bug. We call them lightning bugs. Mm-hmm. And cross-breeded it with a, a carrot. And at nighttime, the carrot lights up. So I called my partner and said, what day you think they're going to? have a baby born and light up and kick Indian folk like my mama at the second coming of Christ. Why wouldn't you believe it? He said, well, they just did it to a cat. Hmm? Mm-hmm. They genetically engineered a tomato with a fish cell. Mm-hmm. Hmm? So you can leave the tomato on the table and Go to London, stay six months, and come back. You'd be so pretty and red. But when you eat it, your body starts holding water. And your doctor would never understand it came from that. So he'd give you money, I mean medicine, a prescription, to, to the, reduce the water. And you didn't have it, so that'd kill you. See how it works? That's what they're doing with genetic engineering. And been doing it. And what they're scared of now is artificial intelligence have taken over. And there's a handful of people that know that. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what it is. So we've already seen the convergence? The convergence when technology catches up with human? Oh, it's been caught up now. And that might be what they did. They might decide we had to get off this planet. Mm, you right. know, we, we discovered something here we didn't think we was going to discover. Hmm? Mm. So that's genetic engineering. So what what does America look like in the next 10, 50, 100 years? <laughs> Most of us in this room will be dead by Christmas. That's what the fuck it look like. Y'all always want more time. More time to fuck you. Cold back of your nuts so you can get more time. The time's over. Huh? That's not run by us. That's run by the universe. Fucking time is over. Ain't no more. Hmm? Motherfucker said, oh, man, we need another king. The universal God said, one to a customer, nigga. You don't deserve to. Hmm? It's a game. It's a game. So. 
So I'm just glad I'm here. I'll be I'll be here to witness. I told people that when Obama wins the first time, going to run white folk crazy. Second time, going to run a mad. You can deal with a crazy person, but a mad dog, you have to kill it. That's what's fixing to happen. That's what's fixing to happen. The reason why Donald Trump is where he's at, if we relate it to film, I think there's some films people need to see that point to the danger of why Donald Trump is so important with his cult of personality. What makes me mad is all the gangbangers, right? Mm-hmm. All the gangbangers that are supposed to be banging and shit. Okay, the cops are killing us. Why aren't you shooting at them for us? Mm. What, what happened, gangbangers? All of a sudden they at home and shit. <laughs> Motherfuckers are at home. We're all these tough gangbangers. We need you. Hello. Hey, man, the Italians got mafia. Like the Italians, you know what I love about the, the mafia and the Italians? They protect their neighborhoods. They protect their neighborhoods. They protect their people. We're the only motherfuckers that have no mafia. Black people don't got a mafia. We don't have. We can't even organize crime. Peace to the God. Peace to the God. How everybody doing on this beautiful Monday? I hope everybody had a great weekend, um, and welcome to the Blind Bay Show on Hindsight Radio. Another Monday. Um, really, I didn't plan anything, and I kind of been running around all day. So my plan is to play a old show, one of our kings, and we always get the good knowledge from him. So I'm gonna play a old show, but I might come in here or there. Um, and, you know, just give my opinion on some things, but whatever, but I'm going to play this old show. Um, peace. Love Talk Radio. Hey, yo, L, what time is it? It's 7 o'clock. Why? What's up? Hindsight time. That's what's up. Hindsight time. You already know. Don't leave me. Trying to get my knowledge on, too. That good old knowledge without a college, bro. Don't be stingy with the knowledge. You walking on slow? Let's get the hot stepping. You know what time it is. Those who don't listen, special. Real special. Real special. You know, I ain't old as I look, but I'm never too old to get that knowledge. You are now listening to Hindsight Radio. charges that Michael Jackson is currently facing? Yes, sir. Uh, And for the record, these charges hurt me the most. So he's guilty. Look, man. Look. Michael Jackson has many faces. None of them look guilty to me. You gotta look in the eyes, not the noses. He's been accused of this more than once. So? Some people say the cucumbers taste better pickled. What? Huh? What? Huh? 
told you that the accusers correctly described Michael's penis to investigators. Sir, I have never seen Michael's alleged penis, but I bet you that I could describe it. All right, let me get. There's a head, a shaft, some balls, hair, maybe pressed, permed hair, and the glitter sprinkled on. That is correct. Well, I don't know. Come on, dude. I couldn't pick my own penis out of a lineup, all right? And me and my penis is like this, son. What about Michael saying it's okay to have children sleep with him? That doesn't mean anything. I'm sure there's plenty of kids that sleep in the bed with their adults all the time, and nothing happens. So do you think Michael Jackson is guilty of the charges against him? No, man. He made Thriller. <laughs> thriller. So you'd let your children sleep with him? No. Are you aware that Robert Blake is facing a charge of murder? Oh, yeah. Beretta did that. Mr. Chappelle, are you aware that Robert Kelly is being charged with child pornography? Yes, I've heard of such things. You've seen the video clip? Have I seen it? Like 80 times. Better part when he's waiting for it to come over and he's looking in the camera like... Do <laughs> you think it was Robert Kelly on the tape? Well, I have to say it was. So then, you believe he urinated on a 15-year-old girl? Whoa, hold on, lady. I didn't say all that. You know, with these tapes, they can do a lot of things. For all I know, that piss was digital. They, they can get crazy with special effects. Look, look, check this out. I didn't even just do that. Did I do that? That piss was digital. They do crazy stuff with special effects. What about the girl corroborating the story? So what? How much money does this girl stand to make by corroborating this story? I tell you what, you give me that kind of money, or Kelly could fart in my dinner tonight. <laughs> Pray for it. So, besides the tape and the girl corroborating the allegations, what more would it take for you to believe he's guilty? All right. If I saw a tape of R. Kelly peeing on a girl while he was singing piss on her, <laughs> and the girl was holding two forms of government ID while a police officer was there, like four or five of my buddies and Neil taking notes. Wow. I'm not finished. And his grandmother has to be there to confirm his identity. That's my Robert. Always peeing on people. Don't forget a hair, Robert. Mr. Chappelle, isn't that excessive? No. No, it's not excessive. Listen, lady, the burden of proof is on the state on the state. You have got to prove to me beyond a reasonable doubt whether or not this man is a pisser. Aren't your doubts unreasonable? No, it's not unreasonable. Look, we're talking about a justice system that had 500 people whose cases were overturned by DNA evidence. I seen a tape with five cops beat up a nigga and it's, they said that they had a reasonable doubt. I got my doubts, too, all right? How come they never found Big and Tupac's murder with that rest OJ the next day? Nicole Simpson can't rap? I want to jump you Everybody! Mr. Chappelle, you're dismissed.
Government officials conspiring on a project so horrible it is hard to believe it happened in our country and not that long ago. We have a story here tonight about cruelty in the name of science and about the government in effect trying to play God. But it's also about the strength and resilience of the human spirit and about a remarkable woman named Elaine Riddick. Dr. Nancy Snyderman takes us tonight to North Carolina to investigate a state of shame. The serene charm of Windfall, North Carolina. A sleepy town where the Perquimans River empties into the Albemarle Sound. But buried in the stillness of this place, it seems time has forgotten a secret shame. It was sort of a hush-hush type of thing. And the records and files were all hidden away down in a basement locked under a key. Until this past summer, when the ugly truth about what happened here and in towns all across North Carolina could be hidden no more. If there's anyone in this room that's too embarrassed to tell your story, don't be. Tell it. It needs to be told, and you need to tell it all. There were a lot of stories that shocked those in the room that day. Stories of shame, confusion, grief. But one story, one single story seemed to rise above the rest. I didn't want nobody looking at me because everybody knew what happened to me. That's how I felt inside. My heart bleeds every single day. I'm crushed. They cut me open like I was a hog. Elaine Riddick's story began in Windfall, among the cotton fields that rose up to meet the tiny two-bedroom house she shared with her grandmother, affectionately known as Miss Peaches. When you come back here, is it nostalgic? Is it bittersweet? Does it bring up moments of anger? All of the above. Sometimes I can come here and I am in, you know, I can look around me and I can take, find beauty in the ugliness, the ugly things that happened to me. It was 1967. Elaine's mother was in prison. Her father had abandoned her and five of her siblings were in an orphanage. Every adult she knew had betrayed her, with the exception of one, her grandmother. She just paid special attention to me. And she loved me. And she just gave me something that I needed. Sorry. But life was about to get worse for the poor, hungry little girl Miss Peaches tried to protect. As I was walking home, I took the long road, and the next thing I know, I was a drug, and I was attacked. And you were raped? And I was raped. And my life was threatened, that if I ever told anyone, that he was going to kill me. And you were 13? I was 13. That brutal rape resulted in a pregnancy. Nearly nine months to the day of the assault, she went into labor. We got to the hospital, and they put me in a room, and that's all I remember. That's all I remember. When I woke up, I woke up with bandages on my stomach. Meaning what? At that time, I didn't know what it meant. What she didn't know was that the baby boy she gave birth to that day would be her last. No one told me. I never even knew. She had been sterilized, targeted by a state board that ordered that this kind of surgery be performed on thousands of North Carolinians from 1929 all the way to 1974. 
7,600 men, women, and children determined by social workers to be feeble-minded or promiscuous were sterilized, usually without their consent, and it was perfectly legal. Little boys, they would castrate them. Little girls, they would go inside them and take out their organs. State Representative Larry Womble. Why would they want to do that to a young girl? Why did they? Well, they had several reasons they thought were valid at that time. Their reasons were based on a scientific theory called eugenics, which became popular in the 1920s. Eugenicists believed that poverty, promiscuity, and alcoholism were inherited traits. It was a simple theory with a radical solution. Sterilize those the state would have to take care of and improve society's gene pool. Some of America's wealthiest citizens of the time were eugenicists. Dr. Clarence Gamble of the Procter & Gamble Fortune and James Haynes of the Hosiery Company founded the Human Betterment League, which produced brochures like these, stoking fears of, quote, morons mixing with the general population. Representative, when you look back, was this a well-intentioned idea with the best science at the time that then just went awry? I don't know if that was the best intention to weed out negative things in our society. You're playing God over a whole group of people's lives, and I don't think we're supposed to play God like that. 31 states had legal eugenics programs, and by the late 1960s, tens of thousands of Americans had been sterilized. It began as a way to control welfare spending on poor white women and men. But over time, North Carolina shifted focus, targeting more women and more blacks than whites. It was a monetary, economic thing. Get them off of welfare so the state would not have to pay for their children. That's fine, but you don't do that by doing this kind of thing. Some people have even expressed to me that it borders on genocide. A third of sterilizations were ordered on girls under the age of 18, some as young as nine years old. What in the world will this lady do with one yeah. child? Yeah. I think he's sterilizing the entire caseload. The voices of social workers involved with eugenic sterilization. You're hearing them broadcast for the first time, some of them explaining the decision to sterilize in these recordings made in 1997 by Rutgers professor Johanna Schoon. What chance does that a child have mm -hmm. in his family? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of motivation for workers probably came from that. Over a period of a year or two years, he got all of the women sterilized. Mm -hmm. I think that was perhaps a little excessive. In 1968, Americans were rebelling, protesting the Vietnam War, marching for civil rights. And while most states had abandoned their eugenics programs by then, the sterilization of poor Americans was still happening in North Carolina, and no one seemed to notice. So it was for Elaine Riddick that a signature on a dotted line sealed her fate. During the cesarean birth of her only son, her fallopian tubes were cut and tied off. There is a document in your file that says regarding the sterilization, grandmother consents and the procedure has been explained to Elaine. Well, how can you take a 13-year-old kid and tell them this is what you're going to do to them? The terminology did not register. How can you explain to a 13-year-old kid that you're going to sterilize them? They took something 
so dearly for me. Something that was God-given. Trauma like this would cripple most of us, but in a moment when we continue this story after the break, we see her climb back and what she did for her only son. Again, our story continues right after this. Welcome back as we now get back to our story. For decades, North Carolina sterilized people it deemed unfit, and it did so largely in secret. And now victims like Elaine Riddick are demanding answers from the government. Dr. Nancy Snyderman continues with Elaine's flight, fight to rebuild her life and the state of shame that existed back then in North Carolina. On the fourth floor of a government building in downtown Raleigh, North Carolina, thousands upon thousands of records few have ever seen. These are the eugenics files? Yes, and they're confidential. They're records that are not open to the general public. State archivist Dick Langford is the keeper of the files that hold the secrets of one of the most controversial practices of modern history, the mass sterilization of Americans against their will. When you've looked at them, what was your initial response? I look at them with a heavy heart because I realize these records, as patient records, have impact on people's lives. When you look at these records, you realize they're from not that long ago, 1950s, 1960s, and they represent all kinds of people. Take this one, for instance, a teenager who was sterilized because she was deemed promiscuous at the age of eight. And here's one, a 16-year-old incest victim. Social workers got consent for her sterilization from the father who raped her. And then there are the records of Elaine Riddick, sterilized after being raped at age 13. Social workers had declared her promiscuous, mentally retarded, unfit to procreate. But Elaine had something to prove. I ended up going to college. I took the entrance exam. I passed. I got in. And she graduated with an associate's degree from a technical college in 1982. Is some of this you saying to them by your actions, you guys were so wrong? Yes, definitely. Definitely. You know, I'm worthy. I'm not that little nappy head, dirty clothes, uh, hungry little girl anymore. I don't know where I would be if I listened to the state of North Carolina. Her proudest achievement has been her son, born 43 years ago and under unimaginable circumstances. Hey, Ma. Hi. Good to see you. Good to see you. Hi. Hi, I'm Nancy. How are you, Nancy? Nice to meet you. You're Tony. Thank you. Yes, Tony. You're a strapping guy. Thank you. <laughs> Today, Tony Riddick is a successful entrepreneur. You must be unbelievably proud of your mother. Oh, absolutely. I am. This is my buddy, my friend, my mother, everything, my sister. I'm proud of her because she never stopped fighting. You know, she continues to fight, and I think that's very important. What do you want? What do I want? Uh... Well, what do I want? I would like for the state of North Carolina to write what they wrong with me. At one point, I sued the state of North Carolina for a million dollars, and that's been over 30-some years ago. And what did you expect when you filed that suit for a million dollars? I expected for them to give me a million dollars. She got nothing. She lost her case against the state because a jury decided no laws were broken. She appealed it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, which declined to hear her argument. I was uh, embarrassed, and I was surprised. All she and the other 7,600 victims have is an apology, 
emailed to the Winston-Salem Journal from then-Governor Mike Easley in 2002. But after mounting pressure from reporters, the state decided to do more and convened a task force in 2003. Nothing resulted. Then another task force came and went. We're the United States, for God's sakes. This was so wrong. Which brings us back to that day last summer when victims and their families had their say in front of another government task force assigned to determine how they should be compensated. What do you think I'm worth? What do you think I'm worth? It doesn't matter what you think I'm worth. It's what I think I'm worth. Yes, There's nothing that the state of North Carolina can do to justify what they did to me. What they did to these other victims. They told me to sign papers. I didn't sign no papers. I ain't never signed the papers. That was not my signature on these papers. North Carolina is the only state to consider compensation in the range of twenty to fifty thousand dollars. But Tony Riddick, standing up for his mother and the other victims, said that's too little, too late. And my mother's been sitting here suffering for 43 years and nothing has been done. This is sinister. And I'm so afraid that they're going to try to wait till all these people die. And that's a shame. That's a mark. It's an ugly chapter in North Carolina's book. We must step up to the plate and we must realize, take responsibility. There is nobody in North Carolina who is waiting for anybody to die again. Bev Perdue is North Carolina's governor. To stand up and say, I want this solved on my watch. I want there to be completion. Is there a plan to help these people? Our plan is, is very uh, thoughtful, I believe. We have gone through the process of, of ha having the hearings. You have to have people who self-report. I can't... Uh, Why? But, I mean, you have the records. I, Why not because, proactively go out and find these people? Because even if you go out and proactively find them, there are lots of people, just like in other medical cases, who don't want their data shared. They want to know money. Nancy, from my perspective, as a woman and as the governor of this state, this is not about the money. There isn't enough money in the world to pay these people for what has been done to them. As the Riddicks await the state's decision, they focus on the part of the family legacy that really matters. There's something to be said about young men who are raised by strong women. Yes, ma'am. I got an, uh, my, my cup overfloweth. <laughs> <laughs> Go! <laughs> Every day they appreciate life's simple gifts, finding joy in Tony Jr., who has yet to understand his grandmother's place in a terrible chapter of American history. He gives me the love. So with that, I can do anything in the world that I want to do. And I can be anybody I want to be. I'm sitting here thinking, these aren't records you unearthed in a parchment book with right. sketchy details from the past. We just heard audio recordings of something saying... Something Peace to the gods. What's going on? You're listening to the More Empire Building Show with your host, Akeem L. Of course, you're listening to Hindsight Radio, the information station changing the nation. Oh, yeah. What's going on, everybody? I hope everybody had a great day. I did. I you know, did a little running around, got my car serviced, uh, had a meeting with a couple of people, uh, you know, Preparing for this webinar, 
a lot of you guys are responding and getting on that webinar. You're going to learn about the uh, CPN, private banking, setting up your accounts properly without the social. Uh, learn about those AU uh, trade lines, the good uh, reputable source. I'm going to give you all guys that, whoever gets on that. This coming Friday on the 13th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. So go to akimel.com and reserve your spot. It's basically literally just a few spots left. I'm only hosting, but so many um, on that webinar. Uh, you know what I mean? Because all day the, the, the orders have been coming in all day. I probably had about eight orders in the last 30 minutes. Oh, um, literally. So. Yo, if you're going to be there, get on. There's still a few spots left. Get it. Get it now. The link is uh, right here on the front page of, uh, you can click on the description. And it says pre-order the private banking seminar. Also, on the 20th, we have our nationality seminar in Atlanta, Georgia, at 133 Carnegie Way at the uh, Marriott Downtown Atlanta. A courtyard Marriott downtown The same place that we usually have it uh, That'll be on the 20th From 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. That's a $250 donation Go to com. Click on the events tab There it is $250 We're going to show you guys how to get out of this uh, Get from under the 14th Amendment Corrective birth certificate As well as show you guys the, the newer information Like the appeals process We're going to show you how to you know, when they shutting y'all down, we're going to help y'all with that. So be there uh, if you really want the information properly. Um, what I wanted to talk about a little bit, I'm not going to do too much uh, teaching, but I wanted to go over 8 U.S.C. 1481 uh, because people are still kind of confused on what needs to be done. You know, the only... You know, there's only one way to correct this birth certificate, and that's by making a formal declaration. It says in the INA Act 349, let me open up the chat. I, I, I open up the chat just a little bit late sometimes just to, uh, because of the problems we've been having with the chat and certain haters get on and uh, try to disrupt the show. So I'm opening it up right now because I want y'all to see this. What I'm going to talk about briefly. There's only one way to correct this birth certificate. There's only one way to claim this nationality. You got to remember the birth certificate is what screws you. It's got you listed as a U.S. citizen. Um under the label black, African-American, Negro colored. Like I was talking to a guy who is just a year, uh, a few years younger than, younger than I am. And on his birth certificate, it said Negro. He's born in 72. Negro. So they, you know, there's some younger people with that on there. And, like they had gave him the long form And then when he was trying to make some moves They cut half of it off So he couldn't see the other half of the birth certificate So best believe 
it's on your birth certificate. There's the part they're giving you, they're hiding it, which identifies your nationality. Because nationality has to be determined in order for you to get a passport. They have to know who you are. Because a lot of people come up, oh, it's not on my birth certificate. Yes, it is on your birth certificate. The part they show you, you may not see it, but it's on your certificate of live birth. Nationality must be identified. They can't just have somebody, oh, well, he was born here, but you got to determine where you're from. Who are you? All right, let's look at this. Uh, the, it's, it's the uh, Immigration and Nationality Act, 349, which is also under 8 U.S.C. 1481. It says, a, a person who is a national of the United States, whether by birth or naturalization, shall lose his nationality by voluntarily performing any of the following acts with the intention of relinquishing United States nationality. One, obtaining naturalization in a foreign state upon his own application or upon an application filed by a duly authorized agent after having attained the age 18 years. So you can voluntarily take allegiance or being naturalized into a foreign state. Now, a lot of y'all think that being naturalized into a foreign state has to be another country. No, it just has to be something other than the United States. So if you want to become a Moor, become a part of a tribe, something that is not part of them, you have just naturalized yourself into a foreign state by simply making that declaration or or making an application to that. And it says, or two, taking an oath or making an affirmation or other formal declaration of allegiance to a foreign state or political subdivision thereof after having attained the age of 15 years. See, there it is, making an affirmation or formal declaration. So, basically, you can write up something and say, well, I make a formal direction, a declaration of allegiance to Al Morocco. See what I'm saying? There it is. Right? And then it goes on to say three. Entering or serving in the armed forces of a foreign state if such armed forces are engaged in hostile hostilities against the United States or such person served as a commissioner or non-commissioner officer or A, for A, accepting, serving, and performing duties of any post, office, post, or employment under the government of a foreign state or political subdivision after attaining the age of 18 years if he has or acquires the nationality of such foreign state or B, accepting, serving, and performing the duties or any other office, post, employment under the government of a foreign state or political subdivision thereof after attaining the age of 18 years uh, for the, which office, post, employment, and oath, affirmation, or declaration of allegiance is required or making a formal renunciation of nationality before a diplomatic or consular office of the United States in a foreign state in such form as may be described, prescribed by the Secretary of State, or making in the United States, in the United States, 
a formal written renunciation of nationality in such form as may be prescribed by and before such officer or may be designated by the Attorney General whenever the United States shall be in a state of war and the Attorney General shall prove, approve such renunciation as not contrary to the interests of national defense or committing an act of treason against or attempting to force to overthrow or bear arms against the United States violating com- conspiring to violate any of the provisions in section 2283 of title 18 U.S. United States code or willfully performing an act in violation of section 2385 of title 18 United States code or violating section 2384 of said title by engaging in conspiracy to overthrow put down or destroyed by force the government of the United States or to levy war against them. If any, if indeed, when he is convicted thereof by court martial or by court of competent jurisdiction, the seven would not apply to you on, on the way we teach you. Now let's go down to B. It says, whenever the loss of United States nationality is put in issue in any action or proceeding commenced on or after the enactment of this subsection under or by virtue of the provision of this or any other act, the burden shall be upon the personal party claiming that such loss occurred to establish such claim by preponderance of the evidence. Any person who commits or performs or who has committed or performed any act of expatriation under the provisions of this or any other act shall be presumed to have done so voluntarily. For such presumption may be rebutted upon a showing by a preponderance of the evidence that the act or act committed or performed were not done voluntarily. Now, I know that was confusing. That's why y'all need to come to the seminar so we can really break it down on what the process is to really connect correctly. Who you have to go to. Where do you file it? How do you do this renunciation? Properly. Some of y'all already know how to do it or seen paperwork. We showed you guys. People are getting through. Brother was on the show Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, it was Monday. And he's through. It's a done deal for him. And a few others have gotten through. Um, So, this is showing you what you have to do. You have to make a formal declaration of nationality. What does formal mean, though, God? Formal? You got to write an affidavit. I'm talking to you today from the subject, the power of a made-up mind. Repeat the subject after me. The power power of a made-up mind. This church, this ministry are a school. The power of a made-up mind. The text is found in Psalm 57 and 7. Repeat it after me as I shall read it. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. My heart is fixed. I will sing. I 
and give praise. I will quote from Reverend Ike, the seventh chapter and the fourteenth verse. Repeat it after me. If you want to be something, if you want to be something, to do something, or to have something, first, get it in your mind. Make it up in your mind. First. For a moment, I would like to use a bit of what they taught me in the theological cemetery, I mean seminary, and pay homage to just a bit of homiletics and hermeneutics. Homiletics being the science and the art of delivering a religious address. Hermeneutics, the science of scriptural interpretation. The word heart, as used in the scripture we just read, my heart is fixed, indicates the deeper mind, the subconscious level of mind, where thoughts, moods, attitudes, and ideas settle down and determine your destiny. So then the heart is the deeper mind, the subconscious level of mind, where your thoughts, moods, attitudes, ideas, and beliefs settle down, and from there they determine your destiny. The scripture goes on to say, my heart is fixed. The word fixed here indicates settled in the mind. Fixed indicates the state of having a matter made up in the mind. Now here is a statement that I want you to latch on to. Because it is something that every one of you have and some of you may not be aware of it and I want to make you aware of it. Here it is. You have the God-given power to make up and create in your mind whatever good you desire. I'm going to put it in the first person and have you repeat it after me. I'm not interested in simply an intellectual exercise in my messages. I want to impress this upon your subconscious soul. There is a lot of purposeful repetition. Repeat this after me, please. I have. I have. And I want you to say it with your hands, with your voices. That alerts your subconscious mind that there's some good stuff coming that you want it to catch. I have, I have the God-given power, the God-given power to make up, to make up, to create, to create in my mind, in my mind, whatever good, whatever good I desire, I desire. 
I want you to think of this making up of the mind and making up something in the mind in a sense of making up dough to make biscuits or cookies or whatever. I'm going to repeat this again with you. And this time I want you to call your name instead of saying I. If your name is Susie Jones, I want you to say Susie Jones. If it's Henry Brown, I want you to call your name. And then follow it with this statement. I. I. Call your name. I have the God-given power. To make up, to create, in my very own mind, whatever good I desire. Now here's another statement, just listen to this. Once you make up, fix, and settle what you want in your mind, then the God in you will bring it to pass. As a person, it is your business to make up, to fix, to settle what you want in your mind. This is so important. Too many people complain, Oh, Reverend, I'm not getting anything out of life. Well, what have you made up in your mind? Ladies and gentlemen, you're only going to get out of life what you make up your mind to have. I spoke in Los Angeles some years ago at the Scottish Rite Auditorium on this subject. And a couple of young men saw me on the street the next day and said, Oh, Reverend Ike, that was some good stuff you talked about yesterday. And as soon as we get some money, why, we can do that. <laughs> Let me give you a shocker. It doesn't cost one cent to make up your mind. Say that with me. It doesn't cost one cent to make up your mind. You can be penniless as my mother would say, as poor as Job's turkey. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, things begin to happen the moment you make up your mind. <laughs> the power of a made-up mind is the power of God in you. And you turn on the power of God in you by making up your mind. I said a moment ago that I could have still been in South Carolina sitting on a log in the woods saying, poor black me. I've told you time and time again. My mother taught school in one room, seven grades. I and my mother walked to school every day four miles, and four miles back, she got the princely sum of $65 a month. 
I remember one time my mother showed me $700 cash that she had saved over the years. I don't know how she did it. But she had made up her mind. I'm tired of walking these four miles to school every day and back for just $65 a month. And she took me in those $700, went to the next big town, which was Savannah, Georgia, and ordered concrete blocks and built a store in the front yard. And she operated that store until she passed on. But where did that begin? It began when she made up her mind that she wanted to do better. Many days as we walked those dusty and sometimes muddy roads, People would pass in their cars and splash mud on us. Busting was not an issue in those days. They rode the bus and left the walking to us. And you know I'm not a racist. I'll have to say this if somebody's here for the first time. I'm not a racist. The only color I have any respect for is green. And if you get enough of that, people won't care what color your face or anything else is. Anyway, I could have cursed those people riding in those cars. I could have become a rabid racist walking those dusty, muddy roads was when I made up my mind. That's where all of my Rolls Royces began. <laughs> While I didn't have a penny, ladies and gentlemen, hear this, everything begins with a made-up mind. Say that with me. Everything begins with a made-up mind. I challenge you, I dare you sitting here today. I don't care what you've got, what you haven't got, or what your condition may or may not be. Make up your mind about something right now while you're sitting in this seat. You don't like where you're living? Right where you're sitting. Make up your mind, I'm moving. <laughs> You need some more money? Right there, sitting in your seat. Make up your mind, I'm going to have some money. And don't equivocate about it and mess around about it. Lord, if it's your will, give me some money. Lord, if it's your will, help me make up your mind. Money and everything else is, first of all, made up where? In the mind. My favorite scripture in the Bible that I perhaps quote more than any other is from Paul in the 12th chapter of Romans. Be you transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Everything begins with a made-up mind. I challenge you, ladies and gentlemen, nothing can stop the power of a made-up mind because the power of a made-up mind is the power of God. I want to repeat that again and have you repeat it after me. The power of a made-up mind, made mind 
is the power of God. God in you is your power of creation, and God in you creates for you according to what you have made up, settled, and fixed in your mind. Therefore, make up your mind to have health, happiness, love, success, prosperity, and more money. Make up your mind right now. Over the years, I've told you this true story, and it's worth running by you several times a year about the lady who was sick for many years, an invalid. Her husband took her to all kinds of doctors, took her to many healers, might have even sit and got the prayer cloth if I had been around. This was long ago. I wasn't around in the flesh then. She didn't get any better. Her husband worked every day and came home every night and left her in bed and found her in bed. One day when he came home, he found her switching in the kitchen. He said, my God, honey, what happened? Did you take that new medicine from that new doctor? No. Did you say those new prayers? No. said, my God, honey, what happened? She said, well, I was just laying in bed just feeling bad and just hurting and sick as I can be and you had done everything. I'd done everything I knew how to do. I prayed all I knew how to pray. And she said, I just finally opened my mouth wide and yelled out, Oh, hell, I'm well. <laughs> and she said, I just flung those covers back and jumped out of bed. Now, I know some of you are not used to this kind of praying, but you see, I pray like that. What a healing prayer. Oh, hell, I'm well. There's some of you right now, some of you right over there ought to pray that prayer like that. Because you've been praying those little nice sissified prayers. You've got to pray some real he-man prayers. You've got to pray some prayers with hair on its chest. You've got to pray some prayers with strong triceps and biceps. Those little old namby-pamby, please, Lord. Is this your will? <laughs> but the lady made up her mind. It was a prayer of making up her mind. What did she say? Come on, together. Oh, hell, I'm well. Yes, you've got to make up your mind to be well. And I'm going to tell you something else. A lot of people come here, they want me to read them. I'm going to read some of you. A lot of folks don't want to be well. You'd have to get off a disability and work. I detect that. I read that about a lot of folks I pray for. But let me tell you something, folks. If you don't want to be well, if you haven't made up your mind, and you don't want to make up your mind to be well, don't waste my time. All right. All right. Come on. 
hang on there. I'm going to tell you something else, too. If you don't want to be something, do something, and have something, don't waste my time. You might as well go somewhere else. Because if you hang around me, I am determined to make you rich. I am determined to make you eternally youthful. You know what I've got made up in my mind concerning my health? I have made it up in my mind that I am not interested in getting old and feeble as the years go by. I have made it up in my mind that I'm going to get sweeter as the years go by. All this business of sickness and old age is a negative making up of the mind. You don't have to make up sickness in your mind. You don't have to make up old age. Look how old God is. God's not sick because he's old. God's not feeble-minded because he's a few billion years old. And I'm serious about this God in me, this God in you. Someone has truthfully said that man can be the inlet and the outlet of all that there is in God. Do you know what your purpose is? Maybe you don't know. Do you know why you are incarnated? Do you know why you're here in the flesh? You are here in the flesh to demonstrate God, to show forth God. You are here to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, this one is heavy. Hold on to your seat now. I'm winding up this message. You're holding on? Tighten your hat pins, sisters. You are here to be the second coming of Jesus. And if you ever see the Christ come again, the Christ will have to come in you and through you and as you. And the Christ cannot come to you until the Christ comes through you. You wouldn't know him if you saw him until you find him in you. And I've got scripture to prove it. You remember after the resurrection of Jesus, some of his disciples were walking down the road saying, Oh, see how they've done my Lord. It's a shame how they killed him. They crucified him and they buried him and he's dead. He was such a wonderful man. The Bible said that Jesus himself drew near, spoke with them, didn't recognize him. Before the crucifixion, they had associated with him. They were probably there and, and ate the bread and drank the wine after he had turned the water to wine. And might have gotten a little buzz from it. Excuse me, saints. 
And here was the resurrected Christ walking with them, talking with them, and they didn't know. You see, the church is caught up between two thieves. The past and the future. You know, those are the two thieves that hung on the two sides of Jesus, you know. One thief was the past. The other thief was the future. Right. The past says, well, God used to do that. All right. The future says, well, he's coming again. After a while, it'll be all right. When I get over yonder. And that leaves you hanging on the cross in the middle. <laughs> but you've got to make up your mind what you want to be, what you want to do, what you want to have. For your power to make up your mind is the power to change and control your destiny. Your power to make up your mind is your God-given power to be what you want to be, do what you want to do, and have what you want to have. Let's stand now for the treatment. This is one of the differences in the ministry and in the message and in the sermon here. We don't just preach it, we practice it immediately. How many of you, while you were sitting there listening to me, you thought about something that you wanted to be, to do, and to have, and you made up your mind? Are you ready to make up your mind? Some of you may want to be radical like a lady in Philadelphia some years ago, a lady with children I never will forget. I told them, I said, if all of you who want a new house, Go looking for it. Go pick it out whether you have any money or not. Start getting ready to move. And you know, every once in a while, there are some people who don't have any better sense than to do what Reverend Ike says. This crazy woman went home and started packing up her belongings. The children said, Mama, where are we going? She said, I don't know where we are going. <laughs> but Reverend Ike says that we are going. <laughs> and I'm packing up, getting ready to go. <laughs> you don't have to wait for the chariot from the sky. But this lady made up her mind and she and her kids packed up their things. Seeming miraculous things happened. A chain of events took place. And she was able to buy her own house in Philadelphia and brought me a picture of it. We're going to do the treatment, the prayer treatment for making up our minds now. But please go from here today recognizing the power of a made-up mind. Make up your mind. Never mind how. Don't trip over how. Because when it happens, the intellect won't even understand how it happened. The intellect will look back and wonder how it got over. <laughs> Ha! 
many of you have had God do things through you and for you, and you don't know how? <laughs> I want to say this again because many people dash their feet against this stone. This is what the 91st Psalm means. When it says, He will give His angels, His thoughts, charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. They will bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. The stone of materiality. The stone of how. 